The gospel lesson for this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I want to read verses 1 through 6, and we read in Jesus' name. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the dead deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that you are indeed the expected one, the coming one. We don't look for anyone else because you have come. You have lived and died and rose again. And we stand upon that great truth that what you did for us is sufficient for our salvation. And yet I know, Lord, that there are times when, when we have doubts like, like John the Baptist did. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to, to simply run to you, to bring those concerns to you as John sent his disciples to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. We pray in your name this morning. Amen. It was quite early in my ministry that I discovered something that took me, I would say, a little bit by surprise. I figured that after someone had walked with the Lord for many years, that all doubts would kind of be removed, that they would kind of vanish. And someone would come to the place where doubts were, were part of history. But my thinking changed when I visited an older lady one day, and she had probably walked with the Lord for, I don't know how many years, maybe 50 years, just decades of, of, of fellowship with Jesus. And I remember her saying to me, she said that she had felt, felt guilty about a sin that she had committed as a teenager. And she said, I wonder if Jesus will forgive me. And I thought to myself, now here's someone who, you know, had been, been a believer for all these years, but there were still some, some times of doubt, some times of wondering, am I really forgiven? And I was able to, to open up the Scriptures to her and share the promises of God. And, and that's what brought assurance that, yes, those sins are forgiven. Yes, you put your trust in Jesus. Yes, He is your Savior. And you don't need to doubt. In the verses that follow what we just read this morning, Jesus said some amazing things about John the Baptist. Verse 7, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? He asked, a reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? Jesus asked, a prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus made this statement. He said, Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But as great as John was, and as great as his ministry was, we find in this passage of Scripture that we read this morning is that John had some honest doubts about Jesus. When John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, verse 2 says, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Now, to me, that strikes me as, as somewhat amazing. Of all people, would you expect that a man like John the Baptist would wonder, are you the expected one? Are you the coming one? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? As you look at what John did with his doubts here, you see really a, a wonderful picture of what we ought to do when we face times of doubt. We have to run to Jesus. Now, John was in prison. He couldn't literally do that himself, but he sent his disciples running to Jesus, asking, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And I believe this truth illustrates four struggles that we might have with doubts in our own lives as well. First of all, we need to run to Jesus when difficult circumstances cause us to doubt. If you're familiar with the life of John the Baptist, you know that he was a man who fearlessly and faithfully proclaimed the Word of God. One author says that John was, and listen to these words, a fiery, independent, dramatic, confrontational, courageous man who preached exactly what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be preached, and when it needed to be preached. He was fearless, aggressive, and faithful to the Lord in every way. He called sin, sin, and sinners, sinners. That's a pretty good description of, of John the Baptist. And John was even so bold to confront Herod Antipas, the governor of Galilee, about his adulterous relationship with his sister-in-law, the wife of his brother Philip. And Matthew tells us in chapter 14 that this is why John was in prison. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, Matthew says he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So what was the result of his ministry? The result of his faithful proclamation of God's word was to get thrown in jail. So here he was. The forerunner of Jesus faithfully preached the word of God, confronted sin, did what God called him to do, and now he's sitting in, in jail. Now, John obviously knew the Old Testament very well, and 
as he sat in, in that jail, I, I wonder what he was thinking about. Do you think maybe he was wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? I've been faithful to you, and here I am in, in prison. And maybe passages like Isaiah chapter 61 came to mind. For we see the ministry of Jesus described in this way. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So here he's sitting there in jail. I wonder if this passage came to mind and thought, are you the one? Are you the expected one? Are you the one that, is, that has come to do this, to, to, to bring liberty and freedom and, and so forth? And so he sent his disciples asking the question, are you the expected one, Jesus? Are you the coming one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Ever gone through times of doubt when facing difficult circumstances in life? Ever wondered where the Lord is in the midst of the troubles, the trials, the difficulties that you've been facing? You know, it's easy to doubt during times like this. And that's why we need to take our doubt to Jesus. We need to run to Jesus. I look at the Psalms and you see all the questions that some of the psalmists had. Why is this happening? Lord, where are you? <laughs> but what are they doing with that psalm? They're bringing it to God. They're bringing it to Jesus. That's what John did. He was facing a difficult time in his life. What was the answer? Run to Jesus. Bring his need to Jesus. In difficult circumstances, he ran to Jesus. The second thing we learn here is that we need to run to Jesus when incomplete understanding causes us to doubt. Incomplete understanding causes us to doubt. Many Bible teachers believe that John had probably been in prison at this time for about a year. And Matthew tells us in verse 2 that he had, notice this word, heard of, the works of Christ, but he likely had no direct contact with Jesus since Jesus baptized. And if Jesus' own disciples failed to understand who he is fully, even after walking with him for three years, shouldn't surprise us that John didn't understand it all either, that he had some doubts himself. He had heard of the works of Jesus but likely had no contact with him since Jesus' baptism. Now, John's understanding of Jesus' ministry at this point was probably similar to the understanding of the prophets of the Old Testament. They didn't fully understand, what's really interesting, they didn't fully understand the message that they were given to proclaim. You believe that? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says, As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. You see what the prophets struggled with? Here they have this Messiah who was on the one hand a suffering servant, 
And on the other hand, a reigning king. How does that fit? How in the world can he be a suffering servant who would die? How could he be a reigning king? So they were searching, inquiring what person this might be? Or the timing of it all? And what they didn't fully understand is that Jesus came first as a suffering servant and then as a reigning king. And there was a period of time, the time in which we live in now, between the first and the second coming of Jesus, the first and second advent. So even the prophets didn't fully understand Jesus. John the Baptist didn't either. He didn't fully grasp, had incomplete understanding of the whole plan of of God. I think of the two on the road to Emmaus. Remember when they were walking there to their town after all the events that had happened in Jerusalem and Jesus came and was walking with them and why are you so sad? And they said, well, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And they talked about Jesus' death. What did Jesus say to them? He said, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Isn't that the answer to incomplete understanding? Isn't that the answer to our doubt when we don't get the whole picture? Where do we go? (laughs) Google it? Wikipedia? Go to the Word, right? Go to the Scriptures. Run to Jesus. Let Him teach us from His Word. Like the Berean Christians, right? Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul was telling them were so. They were people of the Word. Isn't that what we need? We need to be people of the Word. There's no greater remedy, remedy for doubt than spending time in the Word of God. The Word. I remember a story about these two young men that were hiking in the mountains. And they came across this little uh, cabin, little hut, and they were thirsty, so they knocked on the door, and the lady comes to the door, and they said, you know, we're really thirsty. Can you give a drink of water? And, oh, come on in, you know. And as they were visiting, these two guys were Christians, and they thought, this lady kind of wonders. She loves the Lord, too. So they asked her, are you a Christian, ma'am? And she said, just a minute. And she went from that room into her bedroom and came out about 30 seconds later and said, yes, I am. And the guy says, well, why did you go into the other room and then come out and then say, yes, you're a Christian? She said, because my Bible still says the same thing. <laughs> Where was her hope? What was, her, what was she standing on? The truths of God's Word. She ran to the Scriptures. Ran to the Word of God. Ran to Jesus. When we don't have complete understanding and that causes us to doubt, where do we turn? Where do we go? Peter says, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. And so we run to the Scriptures. Notice, thirdly, we run to Jesus when worldly Influences cause us to doubt. 
There were many, many misconceptions in John's day about the Messiah, what he would do. And I would assume that John the Baptist may have shared some of those misconceptions because the disciples did, right? The twelve disciples did. They had a misunderstanding of what kind of kingdom Jesus was bringing. And John may have as well. One of the misconceptions was that the Messiah was going to free Israel from their bondage, which at that time was the Roman government. And John was currently on the receiving end of that bondage in prison. And from his perspective, Jesus hadn't done anything about it. He didn't oppose Rome. He didn't overthrow the Roman government. And perhaps this is what caused John to say, Are you the expected one? Should we look for another one? Another misconception was that the Messiah would eliminate all suffering and disease and pain, much like the prosperity gospel of our, our day today. As some even envisioned uh, like a welfare state where all of their material needs would be provided for them. That's why when Jesus fed the multitude in John chapter 6, they wanted to make him king. Ah, here he is. Here's the one that can provide for all of our needs. Let's make him our king and he'll, he'll feed us and he'll heal us and he'll cast out all our demons. And here's the one that will take care of our, our every need. John MacArthur says that John the Baptist knew that Jesus refused to be made king. And that he had done nothing to change either the pagan and brutal political and military systems of Rome or the worldly and corrupt religious system in Israel. Sin was still rampant. Injustice was still the rule. Political and religious corruption were the norm. And the world was essentially the same as it had been for thousands of years. Except for a few cleansed lives and healed bodies, no visible kingdom was in sight. No radical changes could be seen. And so you wonder, was John thinking, okay, you know, you are the Messiah, but we're still in bondage to Rome? We're still facing the same kinds of challenges we have for thousands of years? Are you, are you really the Messiah or should we, should we look for another one? So you can see why John may have had some doubts. If Jesus was really the Messiah, wouldn't things have been a lot different? Here I'm in prison and Rome is still, still over us. One author says people today, including some believers, are confused and perplexed about the plan of God for the same reason. Their minds are so full of the ideas of people around them that they fail to understand God's plan even when they read it in Scripture. He goes on to say, we continually hear people ask, if Christ loves everybody so much, why do children die and people starve and get diseased and crippled? If God is a God of justice, why is there so much corruption and injustice in the world? Why do so many good people have it so bad and so many bad people have it so good? If God is so loving and merciful... Why does he send people to hell? If God is so powerful and false religions are so evil, why doesn't he just wipe out these false systems? And he says this, because the Lord does not fit their preconceived ideas of what he should be like, P. 
people are perplexed, often indignant, and sometimes even blasphemous. You get that? Preconceived ideas of what God should be like. That's people in our world today. And that's why people today have, have created gods of their own imagination. They create a God who they say works for them. <laughs> this works for me. What works for you? Well, a God of, that I've made up in my own mind. And how many times do you hear phrases like this? My God would never what? Huh? What's the question you need to ask? What, what God are you talking about? My God would never do this. My God would never judge anyone. That's a God you've made up in your own mind. And that's the kind of thing that goes on in our culture all the time. We don't want to follow the God of the Bible because there's things about Him that we don't like. And so, we'll just make up a God. And we'll say it works for me. <laughs> really? When you stand before God one day, is that going to work for you? Certainly not. That's the culture in which we live. They don't like what they know about the true God, so they look for another one. And only the true God can bring salvation. The final thing we notice here is that we need to run to Jesus when unfulfilled expectations cause us to doubt. John's message was very, very clear that judgment was coming Upon sin. One example, Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And then John said, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he concluded his sermon. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hear many sermons like that today? I don't think John understood the seeker-sensitive model, did he? Where you make it sound just, everything is just wonderful. You know? God wants you on his team because you're so gifted and wonderful. John didn't preach that way. He preached fire and brimstone. He said God is coming and he's going to, to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But instead of bringing judgment, John is saying, well, Jesus, what, when, when is this going to happen? From his perspective, it, it seemed like, like Jesus had done just the opposite. He didn't see any execution of judgment. He didn't avenge the righteous. Jesus didn't even defend himself against his accusers. So John asked, 
Are you, are you the expected one? Where's the judgment? Where's the unquenchable fire? Where, where's dealing with sin? Or should we look for someone else? So how did Jesus answer that question? I find it interesting that Jesus didn't answer with a simple yes or no. He could have. Are you the expected one or should we look for another one? No, I'm I'm the expected one. He could have answered it that way. But instead he told John's disciples to present to John the evidence of who he is. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the dead, uh, the dead here, the deaf here. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus adds this, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now here's where it helps to compare the various gospel accounts of this because Luke adds something I think that is quite important. He says... The reason why Jesus told them to report to John what you see and what you hear and see is because at that very moment, Jesus performed some miracles right in front of the ones who had come to him with this question. They saw with their own eyes. Listen to Luke chapter 7, 20 and 21. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Verse 21 says, at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So if you're John's disciples, you're going back to John in prison, what are you going to say? John, there's no question. <laughs> there's no question who, who he is. We didn't just hear about it. We saw it. <laughs> right when we asked that question, Jesus healed all these people. No question, John, as to who he is. Fresh evidence of the divine power of, of Jesus. And if you look at verse 5, in my Bible and in other translations, there are phrases that are capitalized there. And the reason why they are capitalized is because they are quotes from the Old Testament. Verse 5, the blind receive sight. That's capitalized in my Bible. The poor have the gospel preached to them. That's also capitalized in my Bible as if to say, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. It's a quotation from Isaiah 35, verse 5, and Isaiah 61, verse 1. So what evidence does John have? He's got the eyewitness account of his disciples coming back and saying, here's what happened. And as one who knew the Old Testament, and they quoted exactly what Jesus told them to say, ah, there it is. There's the evidence. There's the prophecy. These two go together. Yes, Jesus is the one. 
He is the expected one. We don't need to look for anyone else. Jesus is who He claimed to be. So it was the Word of God that Jesus used to dispel John's doubt. We run to the Word. Run to Jesus. That's the answer. Now, if you run to Jesus with your doubt, in your difficult circumstances, does that mean that Jesus will automatically change your circumstances? That He'll just wave a magic wand and whatever difficulty you're facing will just be miraculously gone? Well, He can do that, right? I mean, He can change our circumstances like that. There's no question about that. He may choose to do that, but He may not. What did He do in John's case? Did Jesus immediately release John from prison and John went out to preach the gospel and he lived happily ever after? If you know the gospels, you know that that was not the answer. That was not the result. What happened to John? He was beheaded. He was taken from prison and was martyred. That's the reality. So if we run to Jesus, that does not mean that all of our troubles are going to be gone. Everything's going to be wonderful. He's going to make everything just perfect. That's the prosperity gospel, and that's not the true word of God. But I do want you to notice the impact that John had on his disciples. He had shown them how you handle Difficult circumstances, right? What did he show them? He showed them you, you go to Jesus with it. So they took that message from John and they brought it to Jesus. And in bringing it to Jesus, they were told, they were taught by John's example, what do you do when difficulty comes? You run to Jesus. And when John was martyred, what do you think his disciples did? I think you know, don't you? Matthew 14, verse 12 says, His disciples came and took away the body of John the Baptist and buried it. And then the last phrase of that verse says, And they went and reported to Jesus. That tells me something. <laughs> that tells me that John had an impact on these guys. He showed them by example, Here's what you do. You go to Jesus. And when difficulty came into the, their life, that's what they did. They went to Jesus. You know, sometimes the circumstances of life are difficult. They are trying. But the answer isn't difficult. It's not hard to understand, is it? It's a simple answer. What do you do? You run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. That's what John did, and that's the invitation that we have today. To come to Jesus. When we're weak, when we're discouraged, when we're doubting, when we're frustrated, we bring it to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us. As we face the difficulties of life, the times that we don't understand, uh, times when we have questions that just don't ever seem to be answered. Help us to bring those concerns to Jesus. Thank you for that invitation to come to you today. All you who are weary and heavy laden, 
Lord Jesus, you said, come to me and you will, you will find rest. Lord, help us to come to you, to run to you, to bring our concerns to you today. For we pray in your name.